We are continuing our series in the parables of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been walking through uh, the parables, which are simply earthly stories that Jesus tells. And they have an eternal or a um, heavenly perspective, uh, insight, if you will. And we've been through a number of them. This morning, we're going to actually start a section of the parables that, for lack of a better term, are called stewardship parables. And they have to do with our, our time, our money, our resources, um, our, our gifts, our abilities. And Jesus addresses uh, those issues in a number of, of parables. Now, if you know us as a church, we don't do a lot or say a lot about money. We don't... Um, we, we have offering boxes in the back, and we just, we've always believed and we've always seen God's people take care of God's work, and that's how we have functioned for years. That's how we'll continue to function. So we don't spend a lot of time talking about it, but when we're in a series like this and Jesus starts to address it, then, you know, I'm not going to skip the parables about stewardship or money or things like that either. So uh, as we dive into it this morning... Uh, understand that's where, what we're talking about. Uh, as we get into it, you should know the parable that we're going to look at this morning, uh, some Bible commentators actually believe that out of the entire book of Luke, this is probably one of the most difficult parables to understand. And as I read it, you're going to understand why, but one of the things that you need to understand is what comes before it and what comes after it. Uh, the parable is found in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 15, we have the story um, of the, the prodigal son. At the end of Luke chapter 16, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So on both sides of this parable, think of it as a, as a sandwich, there are two pieces of bread that are dealing with, um, in one case, the story of the prodigal son who wastes his resources. And then in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, you have the, the story of how one focused on riches and one focused on um, heaven. And in the middle of it, you have this parable. Now, what you also need to understand in this sandwich, so to speak, is that in Luke chapter 15, he's talking to the Pharisees. When he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, he's talking to the Pharisees. But in the middle, the parable we're going to look at this morning, he's talking to the disciples. And the Pharisees are standing off and they hear it and they kind of poo-poo it when he gets done with this thing. And then he goes into the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So you have to understand that connection as we read the story, all right? So here it goes, Luke chapter 16, here's what it says. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager anymore. So he's firing. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he cried. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master 
commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. For what? So that when it comes, when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. You hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to the one and you despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So let's talk about this very difficult parable to understand. First of all, again, he's talking to his disciples. Um, they come, he tells the story. He said, there's a rich guy. Now, this guy was very, very rich. You need to understand that. He was rich enough that somebody else was taking care of all of his stuff. Uh, and, and when you start to look at these, these amounts that he's talking about here, you'll come to understand how rich he really was. So he's very, very rich, first of all. Um, and people came to him. And they, literally the word is slander, and they started slandering his manager. And they started saying, this guy's taking advantage of you. You need to figure out what's going on. So he calls the guy in. And when he calls the guy in, one of the things that he says is he says, you have wasted my resources. Now, it's interesting because in the story of the prodigal son, remember the son goes out and wastes his life with riotous living? It's the same word. He's doing the same thing the prodigal son did in chapter 15. And he says, look, you're wasting my resources, so here's the deal. You're fired. I want you to go get the books, bring them all back to me so I can get somebody else to do your job. So that's the story. That's the plan. Um, And the guy goes, well, now I got a problem. I'm not strong enough to dig. In other words, I can't do blue-collar work. I'm a white-collar guy. And because I'm a white-collar guy, I'm too proud to beg. So how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to take care of myself? And that's very interesting because the, the, the word that's used here actually means all of a sudden he had a eureka moment. And he's like, I know what I'll do. So as he's getting the books together, he calls in the guy And he says, how much do you owe my master? And he goes, 900 gallons of oil. Now, to put that in perspective, um, that would be about, it would take about 150 olive trees to produce that much oil. In this culture, it would be about three years' worth of salary. So it's a significant amount that he owes him. And he looks at him and he says, I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. Let's cut it in half. I need you to sign this document. He can't sign it fast enough. Done. And he walks away happy as can be. Brings in the next guy. How much do you owe my master? Yeah, a thousand thousand, uh, bushels of wheat. A thousand measures, actually. Uh, Here's what it comes down to. At this culture, it was about the produce from about 100 acres of wheat. 
which again, you know, you're like 100 acres. You couldn't even live off that now. Well, that's because we have big machines. They didn't back then. So this amount of wheat is actually about 8 to 10 years' salary. So again, a really significant amount of wheat. And he cuts it by 20%. He said, okay, he said, let's do a 20% reduction in that. And there's all kinds of reasons why it's 50-20. There's all kinds of theories. It doesn't really matter to us. But basically, he goes, yeah, where do I need to sign and how fast? He signs it off, done. The master now, the owner, hears about this. And he calls the guy in. Now, he's just lost a lot of money. So what kind of discussion would you be having with the guy who just robbed you, cheated you, lost you a ton of money? It wouldn't be, you know what, I'm pretty impressed. But that's the discussion he has. He goes, I'm impressed. He said, you know what? He said, you were incredibly shrewd in what you did. You're still dishonest and you're still fired. And I'm not going to rehire you. But I have to say, what you did was incredibly shrewd. And that's what he's commended for in this story. And if you'll think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because he put the owner in a lose situation. And he put himself in a win situation. So play it out in your head for a minute. So if you're the person who owed the money, who are you happy with now? You're happy with the, the steward and the owner, right? You're like, hey, he cut my bill in half. Hey, he knocked it off 20%. I love that guy. I love his manager. It's a, it's a win-win for you, right? But here's the problem with the owner now. The owner fired him. So who looks bad? Because now it looks like the owner fired him because he gave those guys the discount. And the, my, and the guy who gave the discount, he wins again. So he can walk to either one of those guys and say, hey, you know what? Remember me? Remember me, the guy who gave you the 50% discount? Well, I got fired. Uh, can I have a job? How brilliant is that? And the owner, on the other hand, is in, a, is in a lose situation. And the owner says, look, when I look at this situation, what you did it was dishonest and everything else, but it was brilliant. It was a brilliant move. And as a businessman, I can appreciate the fact that you thought about yourself and you thought about your future and you planned for it and you made a way for you to come out of this situation with me firing you, smelling like a rose. I admire that. I admire that. You're still fired. You're still dishonest. I still won't give you a recommendation. But it was a pretty shrewd move. That's the story Jesus tells. And then Jesus makes the application to it. And here's what he says. The people of the world, and he makes two contrasts here, the people of the world and the sons of light. Sons of light are Christian. People of the world are people who don't know Christ. He said, one of the things about people of the world is this. They're smart enough, they're shrewd enough to figure out 
They need to plan for the future. They need to protect themselves. They need to watch out for themselves. Just like that manager did. That manager stood back and realized he was in a situation where he was going to be without a job. He was going to, so he made a decision, a quick decision, to invest and to do something that guaranteed his future. He said, that's smart. That's shrewd. That's good business sense in the world. But he said, the issue with the children of light is they don't do that. Because they are people of two worlds, the world here and the world to come. And the problem is they're not shrewd enough to be able to do in the spiritual world what this guy did in the physical world. He said they're not smart enough, they're not wise enough to understand that our investment needs to be in the world to come. Yes, do we prepare for a future? Yes. Do we prepare for retirement? Yes. Do we do those things? Yes. But none of that lasts past this world. And he said, children of the light, Christians, should be investing, and he uses this term, interestingly, in true riches. And he says they should be making friends for eternity. In other words, they ought to be investing their resources, time, money, energy, talent. They ought to be investing in things that have an eternal nature to them so that when they leave this world, there's something for them that they have invested in in the world to come. He said the irony here is this dishonest businessman was shrewd enough to figure it out for this world. But Christians aren't wise enough to figure it out in the world to come. So he goes into this thing at the end, and he talks about the idea, if you've been faithful in the little thing, you'll be faithful in the big thing. And you cannot serve God and money. You cannot, you, in other words, you're either going to serve God with your money, or you're going to let your money serve yourself. And that's what he's talking about. And so then he's going to go into the story later on of the rich man and Lazarus. He's going to go into the section about divorce and stuff. And then he's going to go into the section about the rich man and Lazarus. So that's the story. So let's pull a couple of things out of it for us as we head on the week. Here's the thing. First of all, he's praised for his shrewdness. Not his, not his um, ethics or his morality. He's praised for the simple fact that he does two things. He seizes an opportunity in front of him. And he makes an investment with that opportunity for something that's going to pay off in the future. He says here in this story that this guy basically plans ahead and figures out, this is how I'm going to take care of myself when I don't have a job anymore. The analogy is this. If the world is that smart in planning for life here, why don't we do it for the world to come? I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's trying to get across. And if you'll think about it for a minute, how much time, effort, and money, and resources do we spend planning for retirement? I'm not saying you don't have an IRA. I'm not saying you don't have a pension or whatever it is that you have for your future. But here's my question. Because I'm going to tell you from my point of view, I have a front row seat to this in life. 
You know what I've watched too many times? A lot of people who have lots of money and they go into retirement, but it doesn't do them any good because they've lost their health or they've lost a spouse or they've lost all of these things that they were planning on doing, they never ever get to do. All of these things that they had lined up. I, you know, I, I, I know people that they've got money's not the issue, but they're so lonely. Because they've spent their time accumulating and not doing anything about relationships. And now they're sitting there lonely with all, and, and, and it doesn't do them any good. And the question is, why do we work? You know, that's why I told my wife. I said, you know what? I said, I, I, at some point, I'll probably retire. And, and when I do, I, I have things that I want to do. But you know where I'm doing all that stuff? Right now. Because I don't know that I'll get to retire. I don't know that we'll get to travel together. I know this. We can travel now. So we do. We do. In fact, I told my wife, um, I already have my 2021 trip planned. And I started planning my 2022 trip. No, yeah. This is 2020. 2023 trip. Um, 2022 is Zion National Park. 2023 is uh, uh, Glacier National Park, although there's some debate. And I'm blaming the Blairs for that. The Blair girls are the reason. I keep seeing these pictures. I'm like, I gotta go see this place. Uh, but I mean, seriously, why? I don't know if I've got tomorrow. I don't. But if I have it, you know what? I want to invest in it. And, and so often I watch people, they have all these plans for the future and they miss it because they, they spent all the time and energy Instead of enjoying what you have now, instead of looking at it going, how can I invest my life now for something just beyond me? Something that has an eternal nature and value. And one of the things that you learn, one of the things that you see in this passage is Jesus saying this, look, if the world can figure out, save for your retirement, invest in your retirement, why can't we figure out, invest for eternity? Because that's far bigger than whatever 10, 15, 20, 30 years you have on retirement here. So the first thing you see is this shrewdness, this idea of, you know what, we, we, we need to be smart about that. Second thing you see is this. We're just stewards. I'm all for tithing. I'm all for, for percentage giving. Um, all my life, we, I have always had a percentage of my income that I give. Um, as a church, uh, we take, you know, when we started, we take 10% of everything that comes in from our general offering, we put it in mission. A few years ago, we moved that to 15%. Um, because I, I just believe that that's a, that's a great start that you give a percentage back that you don't get to benefit from. Um, but there's a problem. There's a problem with tithing, and there's a problem with percentage giving, there's a problem with giving in general, is that one of the things that happens in giving is this mindset that says, I'm going to give 10% to God, or I'm going to give 15% to God, or I'm going to give 2% to God. I'm going to give God X number of dollars on my paycheck every time. Here's the problem with that. We tend to believe that then we get to do whatever we want with the other. It's all God's. Everything you have is God's. It's a gift. It's on loan to you. Your children, they're not yours. They're on loan to you. Um, 
And I know there are moments you want to give them back. Um, I, I get that. But I mean, honestly, your children are on loan to you. They're not yours. They're God's. Uh, you're just simply a steward of it. Your job, you're a steward. You're a manager. That's it. All of the, the, the farmland that you own, you're a steward. You're a manager. You know, when my mom was here, um, uh, in order to get from the basement to the thing, I get her a golf cart so she can drive around. And so she doesn't have her car anymore. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, wild woman behind the wheel at times. But uh, so we got a golf cart for her. So I borrowed a golf cart from a guy. Uh, it was a mine. So every night after my mom would get go downstairs, um, down there, I would get in the golf cart, I'd drive around, I'd put it in the shed. And then in the morning, I'd get up, I'd drive it around, so it was there for in the morning. It's a golf cart. It's made to be outside. But it wasn't mine. If it was mine, I left it outside. It's somebody else. I was just a steward, a caretaker of it. So when I got done with it, I would put it in the garage. I didn't want it to get hailed on, um, just in case there was a hailstorm. Why? I was a steward. I was borrowing it. I wanted to take good care of it while I borrowed it. That's us for life. We're just simply a steward. It's not ours. Not, 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 you don't get to say, okay, God, I'm going to give you this percentage, and then I can do whatever I want with the rest of it. It's all God. He can take it back at any time. He can give you more at any time. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. You're just stewards. We're just managers of it. So that's the thing that we have to remember, and that's what he teaches. You're going to see this over and over again when we talk about the stewardship parable. This theme keeps coming up over and over again. We're just managers or stewards of it. It doesn't belong to us. The third idea you see in this is this. You are controlled by someone or something. That's why he says you can't serve God or man. One of the two. Um, and you have to, each one of us has to understand it. One of the things that I read this week, which just was amazing, um, John Calvin was a thorn in the side in the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, he really caused some problems. Uh, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church declared John Calvin a heretic. And they wanted him gone. When he finally died, listen to what the Pope of the day said about John Calvin. He said, The strength of that heretic came from the fact that money was nothing to him. Now, if you know the history at the time, this was a big deal. And one of the things that John Calvin took, the attitude was, you know what? Money's not important to me. And that's what caused a lot of problems. Because the things that he was teaching were costing the Roman Catholic Church money. And they didn't know how to combat that. And one of the things that you see in this, in this passage is this idea that if you're not careful, if you're not careful, and you've watched this play out, your stuff will control you. If you're not careful, um, and again, I'm not against having stuff. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling guilty for what you have. But I do want you to walk out of here today walking away with the attitude of, it's a gift from God, and it's God's, it's not mine. Um, because that's the attitude we need to have. I, we don't need to let our stuff control us. We don't need to let our stuff get in the way or hinder our walk or our relationship with God. Um, and that's what you see. And Jesus said, look, this guy was shrewd because he planned for the future. Jesus is saying, look, as a Christian, be just as shrewd and plan for the future to come past this world. 
And that's what we forget. And that brings the last thing. There's an eternal dimension to life. I think we forget that. I think we forget we are eternal beings that will live somewhere forever. So here's a question. If this, is the, this is the crux of this parable. Why are you going to spend all your time, energy, and effort preparing for your 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 years of retirement and not invest in your 30,000 years plus of eternity? Does that make sense? That's why he uses a story. This guy figured it out for himself. Why can't his children of light figure it out for eternity? And that's our challenge. And my question comes down to, how are you taking whatever you have and making it count for the world to come? How do you do that? Um, When I do a message, you know, I I have a lot of people sometimes ask me, okay, so how do you put together a message? I read a lot. I probably this week read somewhere around 30, between 30 and 40, either messages or commentaries or Greek studies or stuff like that on this passage. And by the time that you have done that, you know, I walk up here with, with almost, probably this week, I don't know, seven, eight, nine pages of single-space notes. And you get a small portion of that. Um, the guys in the back the whole time are going, where is he? Because um, it's kind of all over the place. So, I, But I know where I want to come. But once in a while, I will read something that will haunt me for the whole week that I just can't shake, that it's one of those things that God just keeps punching the, the doorbell on, uh, in, in my life. And this is what I read this week that I've not been able to get across, get away from, and this is what I want to end with. One of the commentators asked this question. He said, when you die and you enter heaven's heaven for eternity, Will there be anybody who walks up to you and says, thank you for investing in my life. Because of you, I'm here. That's what Jesus is saying when he says you make friends for eternity. True riches. He said, will there be anybody who is in heaven because of your witness, your testimony, your influence, your impact in their life. And I just can't shake that. Because that's what we all ought to be living for, right or wrong. Right or wrong. And then I took it even bigger. And I thought, as a pastor of a church, is there anybody in heaven that's going to be in heaven and say, I lo- you know what? I know you were part of that church, and because of your church, I'm here. Because you guys gave to a missionary in P&G who shared the gospel with us, we're here. You never met me, but you should know that you guys invested in a missionary in Yugoslavia, Serbia, 
who had a van that ran around and gave out Bibles. And because you guys supported them, they gave us a Bible and I came to know Christ. And let me introduce you to my wife who came to know Christ. And here are our children who came to know Christ because of the investment that you made in us. That's what he's talking about. And I have to step back and say, as I look at my life, as I look at us as a church, as I look at our mission as a whole, is that true? Because that's what we're here for. And I would just challenge you to look at it and go, as you look at what you're, you're spending your time, energy, effort, money on, ask yourself, how much of it has an eternal nature to it? That's going to live on past me. This past week, I've been planting a lot of perennials. My wife thinks I've lost my mind, but I'm having fun. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and I'm having fun. And so the other day, she's like, are you just, you know, are, are you finally done? I'm like, no, i still got more to plant. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, she goes, do you think, <laughs> my wife said, do you think you overdid it a little bit? And I told her, I said, you know, I said, here's the thing. I said, we've been on this property 20 years now. I said, when we came, there was one tree. I said, and early in this thing, we planted a lot of trees. And I said, now when I drive around and cut grass and stuff like that, I said, I enjoy the trees and because they're here because we invested the time to put them in there. And I said, I'm going to give this a shot. And if this works... I said, for years to come, I'm going to get a pole in my driveway and see all of this stuff. And I'm going to enjoy it for the years that I'm here. In the same way, my question to you would be, what is it that you're investing in that's going to have an eternal nature to it? I mean, I'm shrewd enough to go, if I plant perennials now, I can probably enjoy them in five or ten years if I don't kill them between now and then. But I can enjoy them because I'm investing now. And this is what Jesus' parable is all about. He said, look, if the world can figure this out, children of light should be able to. And he talks to his disciples, and he basically says, and if you think about this in a big picture, he looks at at these 12 guys. And he's saying, guys, I need you to start thinking about something beyond here and invest in things that have a big picture in eternity. You want to know the crazy thing about this? We're here this morning as part of the investment of those 11 guys. It paid forward that far already. Because many of them lost their lives and gave their lives for Christianity and shared the gospel to the world, and it went everywhere. And so my challenge to you is as we look at this passage, again, a difficult parable, but yet a fairly simple parable about being smart, about investing for things way beyond us. I conclude with this. The unjust steward is praised for his ability to plan for his future. But he's condemned for his job performance. Jesus uses this parable to remind us that people of this world focus on their future here. As God's children, 
Our focus has to be the world to come. True wealth comes from investing the things that matter for eternity in the world to come. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we're here, and it's easy to focus on here. But Lord, here is just a small part of the eternity that exists for us. Lord, may we use our time here, although brief, to make an impact for not just the generation to come, but for generations to come. And Lord, on the day that we do leave this world to enter into eternity with you, Lord, may we be able to see unique ways in which you used us to impact heaven. These things we ask in your name. Amen.